Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. President Trump and the Bay Area, they don't really get along. So it's no surprise that one of its biggest political rivals has been House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, whose political roots are right here in the Bay. The way that Pelosi, even before this impeachment inquiry, has really successfully played the president in a way that most politicians in D.C. have not been capable of. Nancy Pelosi is leading the charge on impeachment of President Donald Trump. Today, how Pelosi's time in San Francisco propelled her to the national political scene and prepared her for this moment in American history. I'm Devin Kadiyama. Welcome to The Bay. So Nancy Pelosi is perhaps one of the most, if not the most important in Washington around impeachment. Marisa Lagos is a correspondent for KQED's Politics and Government Desk. She's also co-host of the podcast Political Breakdown. She's the leader of the Democratic House, and she, in many ways, I think, has been preparing her whole career for a moment like this, really from the time she was a kid up through her experience as a mom and a congresswoman. When did Nancy Pelosi start to get involved in politics? Well, uh, officially or unofficially? Let's say unofficially. (laughs) Like, how far back does it go? So Pelosi was born um, to a very political family in Baltimore, uh, the D'Alessandros, and she was the daughter of a mayor and congressman. The thing is, is that we were instilled with the idea that public service was a noble calling and to respect all those who engaged in it. So she talked to me and uh, Scott Schaefer on Political Breakdown about some of this last year when uh, she came to KQED to sit down with us. I never intended to run for office ever. So that 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 was something that happened later uh, for me after my children were bigger. She was born into this very politically operational family, and she's always been that way. Speaking to her biographer, Mark Sandalo, he talks about how from the time she was a young child, she understood that if somebody came to the door or called for her dad, the first thing you did was get their name and phone number, and then you asked what they were calling about. Because then come election day, you've got a whole file of people that you can phone back and try to get help, maybe some poll workers or poll watchers. Pelosi's been steeped in the sort of chess maneuvering of politics, the smoke-filled rooms, understanding the behind the scenes, really since she was a child. Eventually, Pelosi moved to the Bay Area. There, she would build a personal and political life, one that would eventually prepare her for the national stage. Her husband, Paul Pelosi, was from San Francisco, and they moved here in 1969 and proceeded to have five children within a six-year period, which um, is insane. (laughs) I mean, like, I don't want to sugarcoat this. Right, right. That's crazy. 
when you raise five children, six and under, in, in that period of time, when they are all in school all day, you think you can do anything. When she moved to San Francisco, nobody knew who she was. She didn't have the sort of political juice that she would have had in Baltimore had right. she stayed there and been a D'Alessandro. Right. Um, and so I think that when her kids were young, she was definitely, um, as her daughter put it to me, civically engaged. We grew up with civics in our blood. We were always volunteering at the library from when we were very little. But it wasn't until her kids started getting a little older that she started doing actual political work, um, volunteering for the Democratic Party during campaigns. Active as a Democrat for many years behind the scenes, she was a big-time fundraiser for the party and had a major hand in the 1984 Democratic Convention in San Francisco. So she was very connected to a lot of the people who were really important during that time period in San Francisco politics. Um, But it's also been pointed out to me that in a way it's even more remarkable that she ended up where she was because, again, she's a woman of that time period and she just really impressed people with sort of her understanding of how things worked and ability to raise money um, and do a lot of that behind the scenes stuff that's how you win campaigns. Was there a moment in Pelosi's time in San Francisco that really propelled her into the national political scene? The Burtons are a big political family in San Francisco. Pelosi was a favorite of San Francisco's politically liberal and powerful Burton family, headed by Congressman Philip Burton, who built coalitions in the diverse city. And Philip Burton had been a congressman for many years, several decades, and he passed away in the early 80s. After his death, Burton's wife, Sala, replaced her husband in Congress. Philip's brother, John, also a former congressman, and longtime party activist Agar Jakes, recalled how Sala Burton, on her deathbed, anointed Nancy Pelosi to succeed her. Sala's laying there, and, you know, she was a fairly zofted woman. Well, she was in pain from cancer. And she said, I called you here because I want you to help Nancy. And she launches into this thing like she's nominating a president, that she's smart, she's tough, she's good on the issues, she's organizational, she understands. And I mean, everything that we see now, I mean, she had Nancy Pelosi pegged right down to her socks. Is it like unique for somebody to be tapped like that, to be asked to run for such a high profile seat? It's unique in a couple ways. It's unique because it was a woman, a sitting congresswoman, tapping another woman. And the fact that Pelosi had never run for public office before outside of the party, I think are both very unusual. The 87 election was raucous. Mr. Spinoza, you've talked a lot. Pelosi debated her 13 opponents, one of the few times she has debated, speaking out against American intervention in Central America and defending herself against charges that because she was wealthy, she was out of touch with the poor. How can she relate to people like me? In a race like that, of course, you're convincing voters, but like, You know, things like endorsements matter. Your ability to raise funds matter. Who you've done favors for before matters, right? And so I think that she kind of took all of what she had been building for the last 20 years in San Francisco and really used it to win that election. Pelosi won the election using the slogan, A Voice That Will Be Heard. 
So Pelosi was elected in 87. Um, she narrowly defeated a more progressive supervisor, Harry Britt. And um, when she got to Congress, she served on the Appropriations and Intelligence Committees. She was actually the ranking Democrat on the Intelligence Committee and helped write the whistleblower law now at the center of this impeachment inquiry. I was there even earlier in the 90s when we wrote the whistleblower laws and continue to write them to improve them to ensure the security of our intelligence and the safety of our whistleblowers. And she sat there until her election as minority leader in 2003. So help me God. So help me God. And as Speaker of the House, you can kind of think of her as uh, the maestro conducting the symphony. She is the one overseeing all of her members with all of their individual parts to play in that symphony. Since Trump's election, younger members of Congress have been getting a lot of attention. And many people have questioned whether Pelosi's the right person to lead House Democrats right now, in this moment when politics are so polarizing. Pelosi is known for her prowess in terms of sort of not bringing things up unless she's certain she can win. So when Democrats were calling for Trump's impeachment a few months ago, Pelosi thought the case against him just wasn't strong enough. She's not the type of speaker who's going to bring a a bill to the House floor for a vote just to make a point and put people on the record. Then came the notorious phone call, which revealed how President Trump asked his Ukrainian counterpart to investigate the family of one of President Trump's biggest potential rivals in the 2020 presidential election, Vice President Joe Biden. Tonight, President Trump dismissing new impeachment calls from Democrats and defending his July phone call with the leader of Ukraine, insisting he never... So months ago, when Democrats were coming out and and kind of being critical about wanting to impeach, and she was holding off and saying, no, 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 what was the thinking behind her change of heart? Winning. The actions of the Trump presidency revealed dishonorable fact of the president's betrayal of his oath of office, betrayal of our national security, and betrayal of the integrity of our elections. Therefore, today, I'm announcing the House of Representatives moving forward with an official impeachment inquiry. So for impeachment to happen, essentially, the House would just have to draw up articles of impeachment and vote on them. Once they do that investigation and get the evidence they think they need, the articles of impeachment are essentially an indictment that the House could vote on. If the House agrees on impeachment, it moves to the Senate for a trial. I think in this case, she was waiting to make sure that she had the votes to get articles of impeachment passed and that it wasn't going to hurt the election chances of especially her more moderate members if she did so. I think that um, if it was just up to Pelosi herself, she probably would have supported impeachment a long time ago. But um, that's not her job as speaker. Her job is to make sure that she's not sort of leaving any members of her caucus behind. And so um, over you know the last few weeks, I think that with the revelations about the Ukrainian phone call and this pressure to investigate um, Trump's political rival, what you saw was a shift among some of the those Democrats from swing districts. And I think that was really what broke open the dam, which was a couple weeks ago when those seven banded together and wrote an op-ed in The Washington Post, essentially calling for this inquiry. And the next day, Pelosi came out and said, we're doing this. Congresswoman Cheryl, um, the reporting has been that Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, has been keeping her finger on all of your pulses, you in particular, in the swing districts, in the competitive districts, because you guys have the most to lose. So did you talk to her yesterday about your changing stance? 
So, of course, you know, we came out um, with this op-ed and then we did tell Nancy Pelosi that we were going to release this in the morning um, to, to make sure that she was aware of our position and how we felt about this. This, you know, none of us ran on impeaching the president. I ran to lower health care costs. To get I consider myself sort of a weaver. I'm like at a loom and I have all these beautiful threads that come together, some very different under the tent of the diverse, diversity of the Democratic Party. And what I need to do is to make sure that every thread is in the, the fabric of what we are putting together. One thing Christine Pelosi said to me that really st- struck me was people think that the that yelling at my mom is effective and essentially like the the more worked up you get the calmer she gets and i think that that speaks to the way that pelosi even before this impeachment inquiry has really successfully played the president in a way that most politicians in dc have not been capable of the story about trump's impeachment seems to be changing on the daily and there's still a long way to go Right now, it's not likely that the Republican-controlled Senate will approve of any kind of impeachment that would lead to his removal from office. But because Pelosi waited to impeach, when enough Democrats supported it, it could help the more moderate Democrats in some swing districts heading into the 2020 election. Marisa Lagos is a correspondent with KQED's Politics and Government Desk. She also co-hosts KQED's Political Breakdown podcast. You can subscribe to that show wherever you find The Bay. I'm Devin Kadiyama. Talk to you Wednesday. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast.